Well, I kind of jokingly said to my wife after listening to the children's message, I really don't need to pray or need to preach. She pretty much did my message for me, but that's okay, too. Not long ago, I was leading a, conducting a leadership retreat in Springfield, Missouri. And as I often do when I'm done speaking, I take questions and answers. And some of them are pretty serious. Some of them are kind of funny, but all kinds of questions. But the question that I got that day uh, was this. He said, as you talked about leadership this morning, you also talked about uh, the need to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And he said, so I'm wondering, is that something God does or is that something we do? Now, that question, I think, really kind of speaks to a great need that we all feel. And it's this, that we really don't know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. That's why I've called this message, The Forgotten God. Now, we know the Holy Spirit is real. I mean, that's what the Bible says. Uh, We know that he's at work in the world, at least so we think. Uh, We know that he indwells every believer. Uh, We know that he alone can give us the power that we need. And we all know that we'd like to have that power in us all the time. Now, I haven't answered that guy's question yet, have I? And so I did what you shouldn't do. I responded to his question by asking him a question. I said, what grade would you give your church on your knowledge of the Trinity? And one of the elders stood up and he said, well, I'll tell you, if uh, you graded our church on our knowledge of God the Father, I would probably give us an A. And when it comes to Jesus, he said, I really think we'd get an A+. And he said, but as far as the Holy Spirit, I don't think we know as much about him as we know about God the Father and God the Son. And I thought that was interesting in a Lutheran church of all places. I mean, God the Father, yeah, we know about him. Uh, God the Son, oh yeah, we know him even better. God the Holy Spirit... Um, he's really kind of the God we really don't know. And I said, yeah, you're in good company. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, in the Bible, that took place too. Now, in about a week and a half, I'm going to be back at, down at Louisiana State Penitentiary where I'm going to be teaching a week on the book of Acts. And if you read through the book of Acts, you get to the 19th chapter. It's Paul's first missionary trip, and he, he ends up, in Ephesus, where he meets some disciples of John the Baptist. And when Paul asked if they had received the Holy Spirit when they believed, this is what they said. No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So if you don't know much about it, you're, you're, you're in good, good company. Now, most contemporary Christians would probably say much the same thing. And we know about the Trinity, but we can't explain it. Uh, most of us would be hard-pressed to pass an exam on the work of the Holy Spirit. So, you see on the screen, what grade would you give your church? What grade would you give yourself in terms of your personal knowledge of the Holy Spirit? Now, before you answer that question, let me say up front that I'm not really going to talk to you this morning about uh, what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit I think Pastor Larry's probably done that for three or four weeks since Pentecost anyway. And whatever I don't cover today, he's going to cover next week in just absolutely marvelous sermon. 
Instead, I want to focus on this one question. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I think that's a pretty good question. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, imagine somebody would come up to you and actually ask you that question. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? What would you say? Now, I'm not sure that that's an easy answer. And it might even make you a little bit queasy because... God forbid you should become Pentecostal or a Holy Roller. Now, my grandparents who raised me spoke about Holy Rollers. You know, these are the people who jump up and down and and dance like, you know, with boogie-woogie music, and they bark like dogs and fall on the ground, everything like that. Uh, But I got to tell you, when I I preached to the Zulus in South Africa, they danced the entire service until I preached, and then they sat down and fell asleep. (laughs) Now... I had to tell you that if I were starting my ministry over, if I could back up my pastoral ministry some 30 years, there's something I would change, and that's I would give far more attention to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I'd preach on the Holy Spirit much more often. I'd attempt to lead people to depend upon the Spirit's power more and more every day. Now, the watershed experience for me was attending a pastor's conference, about four or 500 pastors, at Willow Creek Church up in South Barrington, Illinois. And Bill Hybels, who pastors that church, one of the largest churches in America, asked this question, Pastors, when you go back to your church this weekend, what do you expect the Holy Spirit to do? And a voice from the back says, We expect him to sit in the back row and mind his own business. Woo! And Bill Hybels said, Are you Lutheran? And the voice came back, yes. And then Pastor Heibel said, well, I probably could have picked most any denomination. Why I said Lutheran, I don't know. And I thought to myself, yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, I went to church that weekend. I got there early. I was sitting in my car. And the thought came to my mind, what do I expect the Holy Spirit to do tonight at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Belvedere, Illinois? And I thought, well, I wasn't sure. So I walked to the back door, and I put my hand on the doorknob. It was hot, and I jerked my hand back, and I I thought, what on earth was that? And I thought, oh, the sun was shining on that brass handle. And I thought, maybe not. So I went and got back in my car. Now, church starts at 7, it's 6.30. 6.45, I still didn't know the answer to that question. 6.50, I didn't know the answer to the question. 6.55, I thought, sooner or later, the elders are going to come outside to see if I'm coming. And then it suddenly dawned on me that I wanted the Holy Spirit to do whatever the Holy Spirit wanted to do. And I actually asked the congregation that night, Folks, you're all here. What do you expect the Holy Spirit to do today? Well, you know, they gave me the typical baptized in vinegar expression of a Missouri Synod Lutheran. Oh, we never thought about that before. Well, that's a little bit of an introduction, so let me give you a few observations on on the text that I've chosen this morning, which is from Ephesians chapter 5.18. And uh, I'm going to give it to you in a couple of different uh, translations. In the NIV, it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In the New Living Translation, it says, Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. Or the message, I kind of like this, don't drink too much wine, that cheapens your life. 
Drink the Spirit of God, huge drafts of Him. I kind of like that one. Drink the Spirit of God. That's pretty picturesque, isn't it? Take a big whopping drink of the Holy Spirit. Now, in order we do that, I, I, I want to make some observations about that one little Bible passage. Here's observation number one. I hope you notice the contrast between wine and the Spirit. And that's kind of the, the basic point here. There's a direct parallel being drawn between being drunk on wine and being filled with the Spirit. Now, what's the comparison here, the contrast? Well, it's the issue of influence or control. Now, I probably don't need to tell some of you this, but a person under the influence of wine or beer or alcohol of any kind experiences altered behavior. Uh, he or she may say things and do things that they would never ever do, like get up and tap dance on a table. I remember going to a dinner one time with a member of our church, very quiet, very demure lady, always sat there just so quiet. And somebody ordered her, I think it was called a Harvey Wallbanger. And she sat there and sipped it, and when it was all done, she stood up and said, Yahoo! And she whipped the glass against the wall and then sat down again. Was she under the influence of something? Yeah. You know, emotions can be heightened for a brief moment, uh, causing the person to experience uh, anger followed by, you know, quick elation followed by depression. And if a person drinks enough wine, mental processes and decision-making will be blurred and always with negative results. Now, on the other hand, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then what? There's a change in behavior, too. Read the book of Acts, and you're going to see that when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, some of the most timid people in the world became outstanding missionaries, outstanding preachers of the gospel. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, if you read verses 15 to 21, which is where I took my passage from, Paul mentions some rather practical things related to the filling of the Spirit. One is you have wisdom for living in this evil age. Now, do I have to ask you, are we living in an evil age? But we, we're, man, I just like to take the whole world and slap it. You know, and tell you, get over it. Cut it out. But it's a manifestation of sin. But it's godly wisdom that helps us live in this evil age. I don't know how many times I've told people, the one thing I'm thankful for is the sovereignty of God. God is still on the throne. It's also for understanding God's will. I don't know about you, Larry, but if I had $100 for every time somebody asked me a question like, I'm trying to figure out what God's will is for my life. But the Holy Spirit will help you. It, it, it says, it's also, you've got the Spirit, and there's a joyful heart filled with singing to the Lord. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. I mean, we're not just sitting there and mumbling words, but we're just happy and we know it. It's an attitude of mutual submission. In other words, we love each other and we, we deal with each other according to good Christian love. And that's the first observation. Here's the second observation. This is a command. Now, in the Greek language, be filled with the Spirit, it's a verb in the imperative mode. Now, I know you all want to know that. Uh, this means the filling of the Spirit is not an optional part of the Christian life. You can't say, I want to be a Christ follower, but the Spirit, uh, no thank you. It doesn't work that way. Every Christian is to be filled with the Holy Spirit all the time. Here's observation number three. 
It is also, I'm giving you a Greek and an English lesson here, it's also in the present tense. See, the insight is particularly uh, helpful because the, in the, the Greek present tense has the idea of continual action. For example, if you told your kids in the fall, go outside and rake the leaves, and five minutes later they come in and you say, did you rake all the leaves? They go, well, no, you didn't tell us to rake all the leaves. And so what do you do? You tell them, get out there and you rake the leaves and rake the leaves and rake the leaves and continue raking the leaves until all the leaves are off the log and put in, in a barrel or whatever and set out for the trash. See, that's present tense. You keep on doing it. Now, you could legitimately translate this verse and say, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, in the uh, Amplified Version of the Bible, it says, but be ever filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. I kind of like that too, being stimulated by the Holy Spirit. Here's my fourth observation. It's also in the passive voice in the Greek language. In Greek, as in English, Commands are either active or passive. But there's much more, we're much more used to what I've just active commands, like go to the store, get some milk. Run over there and pick that up for me. That's active command. But if I say fill, if I say fill that hole with dirt, that's active. But in Ephesians, it's passive. He doesn't say fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. He, what he says is, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the key. To be filled means that the filling of the Spirit is whose work? Yours or God's? It's God's work. Now, I draw a couple of implications from that. One, the Holy Spirit is ready, willing, and more than able to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And second, as we heard in the children's message, you've got to have to make yourself available. Now, I like to make up new words. You know, for example, if there's a parking place that, you know, for the past, I always call it, I didn't call that reserved, I call that deserved parking. And, uh, you know, I, I never relax until I've unlaxed first. But uh, this is a new word I've made up too, and this, the word I'd use is fillability. You've heard that word before, fillability. Uh, it's what happened a long time ago. Most kids won't understand this. You know, old people like Larry and myself will understand this. You know, you used to go to these full-service gas stations, and you'd say, fill her up. And uh, the gas jockey would come out, and he knew what those words, fill her up, meant. It meant two things. Your, your tank was empty, and you wanted your tank to be filled. That's fillability. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of need plus desire. And when, you, when your need to be filled with the Holy Spirit becomes your greatest desire then you will be filled over and over and over again. Now, the fifth observation I make on this text is, it's also a plural command. Plural command. Paul is saying, let each and every one of you be filled with the Spirit. See, on the one hand, it means for each of us individually, but God intends that all of his children be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's a kind of a a sense in which there's a corporate command that the church as a church is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, that is, the filling of the Spirit is not just for our own personal edification. We just kind of take this little Holy Spirit and run over the corner and hide. 
God's Spirit imparts life-giving power that translates a church from a little holy huddle or some little social club or a little religious gathering into the living body of Jesus Christ. And you can see that as you read through Ephesians 5, because right after 18, in verse 19, it says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that we enjoy being together. We're all filled with the Spirit. Come on, let's sing that song one more time. Uh, or in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, that we put other people ahead of ourselves. In other words, I am to be filled by the Holy Spirit, but I am not to be filled alone. When the Holy Spirit fills us, you know, one by one, our corporate life, I mean, this church, as we're all filled by the Holy Spirit, we're changed as each person is filled by the Spirit. And maybe this one factor accounts for the difference between what I would call a live church and a dead church. You ever been to a dead church? Anybody here besides me? Okay, a couple people. I want to ask you where. Um, you know, as a church consultant, I've been in them. I mean, you, you, can, you can spot it right away. The interesting th- thing is you can have, I'm just going to put the Missouri Synod here. You can have two Missouri Synod churches sitting out the opposite end of the block. Can you picture that? You've got First Lutheran down here and Second Lutheran down here. Um, now, they could be, um, they could have the same Bible. They're all reading from the old King James. Uh, they have the same rituals, the same liturgy. Uh, they sing the same hymns. Not all of them, just the ones they like. They have the same kind of programs in their church. They have the same services Sunday after Sunday, and they all have the exact same pews. Now, outwardly, they're all very much alive, alike, but one church is alive, and one church is dead. What makes the difference? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. We need the filling of the Spirit, not simply by our, for ourselves, but for this collective body of believers that we call our local church, like Word of Life. Now, let me make some personal applications here. You know, point out three issues we need to think about this filling of the Spirit. And let's just go back again to talk about this issue of control. Now, here's my definition of being the filling of the Spirit. It's what happens when the Holy Spirit has the controlling interest in my life. The Holy Spirit has controlling interest in my life. I learned a great word, or a great phrase, from inmates in prison. And they'll say, Doc, the happiest day of your life when you make the Spirit the resident president. <laughs> now, the question is, do you have the rest? Now, we got some people that they can't figure out which president they like or if they like the president. And as a result, they got no president, and so they all act like a bunch of, you fill in the blank. But the resident president. Now, go back to that contrast between wine and the spirit again. I mean, drunken and spirit, spirit-filled people have one thing in common. They are both controlled people. Their lives and behavior are radically changed by whatever it is that fills them. I mean, if you're a person who's filled with anger, anger will control your life. If you're filled with greed, greed is going to dominate your whole life. If you're filled with love, love is going to influence everything in your life. But when the Holy Spirit 
fills you. you have, he has control of your life. Now, there's an imp- a critical distinction. Being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean I have more of the Spirit. I mean, running around, I go, I got more than you do. Right? Now, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that I have more of the Spirit. It means the Spirit has more of me. And it doesn't happen all at once. I mean, nobody gets drunk all at once, as far as I know. I mean, being full of the Spirit happens that you continually choose to live under His influence. Now, being, I mean, I, I was raised in the Holy Land, Seward, Nebraska. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, you're looking at a dinosaur. I mean, a year ago, there were four people that were honored by President Friedrichs for their commitment to Lutheran education. Dan Jurgensen, Jim Vogel, Evelyn Kroger, and myself. What was that? We started in kindergarten at St. John's Lutheran School. K through 8, we walked across the street, went to Concordia High School, four years. Didn't have to walk any further, and then four years at Concordia Teachers College at that time. You know, but it, it's being, you know, being controlled by. It's just part of your life. When the Holy Spirit fills you, he has controlling interest in your life. And it's controlled by consent. Now, I believe that every Christian, and this is what I learned way back at St. John's and Seward, when does the Holy Spirit come into your life? For probably for most of us who are lifelong Lutherans, it happened at, is it the, oh, the baptism, that's not font over there, the baptismal fonts over here. That's where it happened. There are other people that happened a little bit later. Maybe as you grew up, and uh, where Nancy and I went to church last week, I think in the two morning services they baptized well over 40 people, adults, 40, over 40 adults. I was at a Lutheran church in Missouri, in a Lutheran church in Hot Springs, Arkansas, which you ought to visit sometimes, by the way, that routinely baptizes hundreds more adults every year than any other Missouri Synod Lutheran church in the whole country. And they only baptized about 60 the Sunday I was there. Only 35 of them had signed up early. The rest of them responded to the call of what? The Holy Spirit. I mean, guys were walking in with suits on. They had a horse tank in front, by the way. You wonder how they did that. But, you know, when the Spirit indwells from the time you're baptized or from the time, you, you know, Christ comes in your life the very first time, it only makes sense that we're all filled with the same Holy Spirit, which is why sometimes new believers tend to be more excited about it than old-timers. It's like the old-timers were baptized in vinegar, the young people were baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's almost the difference. Uh, there's, a, there's a central issue here, cooperation. Am I going to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in my life and allow him to lead, to allow him to be the resident president, or am I going to still try to keep on doing life the way I want to do it? And there's some people who struggle with that all the time, and, and I'll admit to that, I've struggled with it in my life. We fight the Lord all the time because we'd rather do it our own way. And God says, okay, you can do it your own way, but it ain't going to work. And in a sense, if we won't cooperate with God, God will say, oh, okay, we can try it your way for a while and hopefully you come back. Uh, my grandpa, Grandpa Aaron's, used to always say, it's an awful dumb horse that doesn't learn from a beaten. I was about 18 when I figured out which, who the horse was. <laughs> uh, 
But then we, you know, when we find Paul, then the Lord says, are you willing to cooperate now? There's also the second part, the issue of contact. And most people think of like the Holy Spirit as some sort of a substance that you fill, kind of like uh, gas in the tank. And so when we run out of the Spirit, we've got to go back and we've got to get more. But that's not even the best, I think, way to think about it. Instead, have you ever seen the elevated trains in Chicago? You know, they have three rails outside for the wheels, and in the center is this electric piece. And as long as they stay in contact with that electricity, it can run and run and run and run and run. See, that's the third rail in our lives. His power is always available, unlike local utilities in Omaha. We've been without power since Friday. Uh, There's never a power shortage, never a brownout. Uh, But sometimes we live without contact with the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, our lives just stop working the way God intended. That's why I say it's that state in which the Holy Spirit is allowed to be free to do whatever he wants to do in my life. And it's not some wild uh, emotional experience. Some people think, well, the Holy Spirit fills you. You're going to be jumping up and down and speaking in tongues and casting out demons and who knows what. It's just that he has control of your life. Now, that's why the command is in the present tense. We are continually to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, cooperating with the Spirit, staying in touch with the Spirit. You know, this is God's moment-by-moment provision in your life. It's for you, it's a command, and it's God's plan for your life. And that's why I said before, God is ready, willing, and more than able to keep you full. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment... Uh, two jars. I, kept, I guess I could have brought them. But, you know, if, you, if you're trying to fill up a jar that's already full, good luck. And if you're trying to fill up a jar where nobody took the lid off, good luck. Now, I've met a lot of Christians, like you probably, you know, Christians in quotes, who are so full of themselves, they have no room for the Holy Spirit. And there are some Christians who are simply so closed down that the Holy Spirit couldn't get in there. And, and so, in a sense, being filled with the Spirit is an impossibility, at least so far as it applies to us. Only God's Spirit can do the filling. But I think I heard in the children's message this morning something about there must be a sense of need. There needs to be a point of contact. There needs to be a sense of willingness. Lord, I'm empty. I need to be filled by your Spirit. Lord, I'm open to you. You know, fill me with your spirit now. You know, let your spirit rain down on me. And, you know, the filling of the spirit is just, it's as simple as that. You know, as long as we're conscious of our need to have the spirit, as long as we're willing to yield to the spirit, we can be filled with the spirit because it's there all day long. Last November, I was driving home from a Bible study on a Friday morning to pick up Nancy, and we were going to head to Angola. As I was going up in the hill, I was involved in a head-on car collision. Four cars tail-ended each other. The third one bounced out, hit me head-on, knocked me off a road. And uh, I was the only one transported. I'm in the back of an ambulance going down the hill. And the EMT says, oh, my gosh, your blood pressure is like, I don't know, 200 over 180. And your pulse is like 120. She said, but you are the most amazingly calm person. And I said, I was just laying here thinking. 
And she said, thinking about what? I said, I was just thinking that God must still have something in store for me to do. Now, I, I, I give you that example because I think that's the spirit at work in your life. God's got something else for me to do. I mean, God sends his spirit to enable us to live for Christ in this world. Any number of times in the last months, people have asked me, do we need a revival in America? Well, yeah, we do. We, we could always use a revival. Although sometimes they say we need to have the Bible first before we can do the revival. But there's a Chinese prayer that goes this way, and I'm not going to say it in Chinese because, first of all, I can't speak Chinese. I'll translate it for you in English because I, I speak that somewhat good, well. <laughs> it goes this way. O Lord, change the world. Begin, I pray, with me. And so it's not the people out there that need to be revived by the Spirit. It's really you and me. I mean, our nation would be a whole lot better if our churches were a whole lot better. Our churches would be better when, you know, we are better. Let's call it better, filled with the Spirit. And it would be better people when we're filled by the Spirit. And that's what I pray for all of us. Let's close with prayer. Holy Father, I ask you to fill not just me, but fill everyone here with your Holy Spirit so that they might live a life pleasing to you. I mean, we so desire to live our life to bring glory to Jesus, the Christ. We are empty, we admit it, and we need to be filled. Thank you for forgiving our sin through the death of your son, Jesus. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to indwell. Thank you for placing that resident president in us as we believe. Empower us so that we can be salt and light in our world. We pray this in, the, in faith, believing that you will answer our prayer, even as you have promised. In Jesus' name, amen. One last piece of advice. Don't wait for some sort of a feeling or an emotional experience. Go serve the Lord right now. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for the Holy Spirit. Pray with me.